This is Peter. And this is Tom. And you're listening to History Teachers Talking Podcasts. All right, this is Peter Sablaki and Thomas Reska, and welcome back to another podcast. All right, Tommy, what do we got? Well, today we're going to look at facts that are often thought to be like historical facts, but they're actually um, myths that, for whatever reason, we uh, we keep alive. So, yes. like, there's certain things that you can't dispute, like Columbus did set sail in 1492. You know, the Roman Empire did fall in 476. Uh, June 6, 1944, those are D-Days, right? Those things happened. We yeah, hard facts are collaborated by historians. But we're going to look at a lot of these other facts and stories that um, haven't really gone through that process or maybe have gone through that process and we know is untrue, but yet the narrative is that that's still what's out there. Yep. So I think we should title uh, this episode Fake History or we're talking about fake history. And, and at the same time, I'm kind of not sure how I feel got about wrong. that. Yeah, things history got wrong. And, you know, the book came out, I think – I mean, this came out a while ago. The lies my teacher told me, and I think yeah, we had to read that in college, didn't we? I was going to say that was required reading That's a long for time us ago then. in college. Yeah. So, and I've read actually uh, Lo- Lowen. a couple versions now. Yeah, and Lowen is the author, James Lowen. I read a couple other things um, from him, teaching what really happened, and um, the Confederate, New York Confederate reader, the great truth about the lost cause. Like he's really into um, kind of changing the whole narrative of how slavery's taught. And I think we're going to touch upon slavery today and quite a few things that we're going to kind of debunk yeah. here. But generally speaking, I, I don't think we have any form of plan. I mean, as, as you know, for those of you that have been listening to us for a while, Tom and I prep for this separately, so we don't really know our notes. However, um, you know, like initially I was thinking maybe we should do like, you know, let's do ancient and then more modern. Let's do U.S. versus world. I think we're just going to go for it. And, and I'm just going to dive right in. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Um, and obviously, these might lean a little bit more towards the U.S. primarily because, Some. you know, we, we kind of live in the U.S. But that doesn't mean that they're all U.S. We so, don't kind of, Pete. We do. That was a terrible. Why, yeah, <laughs> yeah, why do you say kind of? Like, what do you do? You live above it? Do you live like right <laughs> by the border? Like, no, we live in the United States. That is absolutely correct. <laughs> Thank you um, for that clarification, sorry, sorry. Tom. No, no, it's fine. I, <laughs> I know you forget sometimes. Sometimes I forget. You know, that's that's what it is. So, dual citizenship, people. Um, hey, at least I have dual citizenship. It's always so cool being bilingual, though. Like, it. I love it. I love it. But, well, actually, sure. according to the Polish government, I no longer have my Polish citizenship. That's right. You're a spy. Yeah. <laughs> because that. my uh, my you know child passport expired. So I had to prove to the Polish government that I was still Polish, even though I literally sound Polish. But we're not going to get into that right now. Anyway. Source, source spot. That's right. All right. You ready for this? Sure. So I think um, I was going to since, you know, we're talking about America over here. And again, we could go. We're going to go all over the place. But you want to start with Christopher Columbus discovering America? I think that's kind of cool. Considering that, well, that one is, yeah, I mean, that was one that used to be taught. And I think the narrative now is that that that's not obviously not necessarily the case. I well, mean, my that, kids I don't know still learn that. Like my kids still learn that Columbus discovered America. 85% really? of Americans believe, right? There was that, a I saw that. Yeah, they still, and which is crazy. Because, I mean, maybe it's just because we were starting to be teacher, history teachers. But like that narrative has been really debunked. Like, yes, he, there was definitely people that were here before. And that's always an argument too. That's, you know. You can't discover something that people were already living on. Well, yes, that's the that, yeah. obviously that was the Native Americans, but also that there was they, there's proof that there were Europeans here before even Columbus. You want to? 
you want to say he then began that age of exploration and the more of what led to more permanent settlements here. Absolutely. Yep. But I think what makes him more significant because I, just so we get out of the way. So it is now widely believed that the first European to land in America is it was a Viking like Leif Erikson. The Vikings. Yeah. Leif um, and sailed from Greenland to Newfoundland in Canada around like 1000 AC. Uh, however, I think what brings Columbus and makes him more historically significant, and that's why you still kind of have that narrative of, you know, discover America is because his 1492 voyage killed off a massive portion of Native American population. And I'm not laughing because like he's killing them, but no. you know, it's it's unfortunate that we are remembering it for that, and and that's basically because he brought disease to. The new world and i mean yeah what's also weird is that it's taught like in north america like that but he never set foot in north america yes like he, Although, he was in the caribbean he never absolutely. set foot in north america yep that's our first one i guess right well that's one I, discover, like I said people, people really i think discover america a lot of yeah. people do are aware of that but i guess not if 85 percent of people still believe yeah that. according to this poll all right so what else you got well, Again, i have a this, whole bunch of different ones um that's um all right one that i'm gonna go to let's go a little world history um, one that was uh, probably something that a couple of years ago was really big, and that was the idea of the 300 Spartans at Thermopylae. Yes. Uh, that they, these 300 Spartans fought off and they held off the Persian army and everything like that out of the hot gates. And that's actually not true. It's, it's semi-true. It's one of these things that it's semi-true. Um, more or less, there were 300 Spartans. But they were not the only ones that were fighting off the uh, Persians. The Persians did have a massive army. The whole idea of the Persians' army out, out manned them like 10 to 1 and stuff like that. that that's, that's probably true from everything that I found. Um, but the big thing, the myth, is that it was only 300 Spartans that held them off. And that wasn't the case. There were thousands of Greek soldiers from other city-states that were also there. And the 300 Spartans were really just there um, – as the bodyguards to the king, right? Leonidas, which I like how the story goes, because there was a festival going on. So they were not allowed to totally go to war, send all the soldiers like they wanted to. Um, but yeah, so they were there, but they would not, they did not hold off the Persians by themselves. There was thousands of other Greeks um, also there at the hot gates. And the 300 Spartans did wind up dying. Not every single one. Some did survive. Um, but yeah, that kind of like debunks the whole idea of, that movie, right, with 300, and they're fighting off the Persians by themselves and everything. And what I also saw is that a lot of, and you go to Greece today, there's a lot of, you can take these tours and they'll take you to the hot gates, but it's not the actual hot gates because the actual hot gates today are underwater, Hmm. like rising sea levels and stuff like that. So it's like a tourist trap. I thought that was kind of interesting. So if you're ever going to go there, be like, oh, I'm going to go visit the spot where Leonidas fought off the Persians. He he didn't do it by himself or just as much as Spartans. Plus, unless you're wearing scuba gear, you're not going to it. Did you see the one about Spartans? That's also incorrect. There, there is this myth, I guess, and I don't know if it's we, we call these myths, but these are or have been traditionally taught yeah. in schools. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So Spartans, there is this, I guess, myth that they used to throw their sick newborns off cliffs because they weren't worthy. Like if it was a sick newborn, it's not strong enough to be a Spartan. And they actually said historians said that there was this one particular area near this cliff, alleged cliff, that showed the, all these bodies of children. But um, that's actually incorrect. They did not. And they actually um, tried to heal their children. Uh, they didn't throw them off because they were sickly and kill them. And actually, that cliff, 
um, they went back and they found that most of the people that were there were like anywhere between 18 to 35 years old. So it was not like a, a, a baby thing. It was more like people that died, they would throw them off this cliff, which is kind of a little odd. That's kind of like a burial for them. Another one, I mean, it's, if, since we're like kind of in world history, there's, there's quite a few that deal with world history. One uh, is that Cleopatra wasn't actually Egyptian. So a lot of people think, yeah, a lot of people think that she was Egyptian. And obviously you have the famous movie and, and that's, it's, it's also very unfortunate. I feel like a lot of the things that I was doing research for this, these myths exist, they exist because of Hollywood, unfortunately. A lot of a it, lot of them. right? Yeah. Exists well, because even when we talked about um, the Alamo, yeah, we did our, our Alamo podcast, a lot of that with, with uh, Davy Crockett, all that was from um, that John Wayne movie. Yep. So anyway, Cleopatra's family origins actually date back to Alexander the Great, believe it or not. Her whole family was born in Alexandria, the, the famous Greek city. So, And the whole family actually refused to acknowledge any form of ties to Egypt nor speak Egyptian. She was the first one of her um, family to choose to learn Egyptian. That changes up the narrative a little bit. All right. What else you got? Some problems. Well, I, I'll stick. I'll give one more world history one. I thought this one was, was good, too. We always think about the gladiators, right? The Roman Colosseum yep. and gladiators, they fight to the death and they were all slaves. That actually wasn't true. That actually a lot of them were actually uh, a lot more forced, you know, to entertain the masses and stuff like that. But a lot of them were also um, went to these gladiator schools because they wanted the, they wanted wealth, they wanted flame, they wanted glory, basically. And that most fights didn't actually end in a death at all. It was all about just dominating your opponent. And you could become famous, make a lot of money. If you just kind of were a good warrior, you would fight if you could knock their weapons out and be able to kill them. Then that's that was a big deal. And very few fights actually ended in the, were fights to the death. That was like later on, and that yep. was. Um, Something too that would happen. I'm not saying they wouldn't die from their injuries. That would happen too. But um, they didn't. They didn't always fight to the death. It was just about beating your opponent. Once they were beaten, that's it. It was over. And a lot of them were not slaves. It wasn't everyone there was not slaves. They were free men who went in there to make money. It was their choice. That's hmm. freedom, right? I'm going to go fight with swords and imagine that. See, test myself. Although I have to watch Gladiator again. I haven't seen it in a very long time, and it is an amazing movie, which I think it got Best Picture. I know Russell Crowe got Best Actor. I think I, it won Best Picture, yeah. Yeah, I got to watch that movie again. Um, talk about slaves. Uh, did you see that idea that Hebrew slaves didn't actually build the Egyptian pyramids, which is I often did. believed? This stems a lot from Hollywood, um, a lot of biblical movies. Archaeologists believe that the pyramids were actually there before that. And also, they now believe that it was like a very specific privileged working class that was chosen and devoted to the building of these um pyramids are basically tomb they were tombs for the pharaohs right yep the pyramids so yeah was, that's what these historians are arguing anyway saying no they're not going to make slaves do this it's going to be a specialized working class that's going to put this together yeah. Catherine I'm the sure, great the hebrew slaves are definitely doing other things well, yeah. I have been building the pyramids at this time. Because maybe we got to remember too, the pyramids were not built all throughout Egypt's history. It's just a small portion of Egyptian history where the pyramids, as we know them, were being built. Yeah, I was going to go with Catherine the Great, but also before we do that, I mean, there's one, there's idea about it, like Napoleon, all right, destroying the nose of the Egyptian Sphinx. Yeah, uh, that supposedly he was using it as like cannon practice. practice. Yeah, that's what they said when when he was there for through his for his invasion. But uh, we now know that's not correct because there's actually a sketch of the sphinx that was created um in 1738 
um, notes, way, yeah. way before yeah Napoleon ever made it there to Egypt and it yeah, Napoleon was born in uh, 1769 so, yeah, so there's yeah there's, there's no, no way, way he did that there's no way to do it and plus oh. I'm not saying Napoleon was a great guy we're not that's not the point but he did care a lot about culture he wasn't like in a story he's not gonna you would think he was not gonna just blow stuff up yeah that you know has historical relevance yep uh Catherine the Great I was doing some research for Catherine the Great for an article I was writing really? and uh well there's so much <laughs> there's a lot on Catherine the Great. There's a lot. There's a lot like that, you know, if we're trying to keep well, it. Well, a lot, of it, was, a lot of it was probably slander. That, and I mean, actually it is. You know, yeah. And we know they, for a fact that it was. is. Yeah. I mean, she was, she was, you know, she liked to have a lot of, you know, we're going to call it uh, boyfriends um, to keep it G rated. But um, she was known to kind of really, you know, go around town. However, because of that, to discredit her, they made up a lot of different rumors as to how she died. One of them was actually that she was crushed. While having sex with a horse, which is again, um, we're not going to get into details of that. The other one was that she was so big that she was trying to go to the bathroom and the toilet like basically broke under her and it killed her because it like cut her artery. But in reality, Catherine the Great did not die in any of those weird, odd ways. She died from having a stroke. However, that stroke was in the bathroom. In the bathroom, yeah. And then she went into a coma and died. And that was basically how they were then you see how history goes right and again the people who didn't like her right because she was yep. not very popular um with all the people a lot of her contemporaries so they kind of you know made a lot of they basically slandered her like you would slander yeah. politicians today it's nothing new right it's nothing new yeah. and then they make these rumors about horses and they make these rumors about you know that she died in the bathroom you know she did die in the bathroom but no she died because she broke the toilet and that you know, the porcelain cut her artery yeah. so it's just any way to like get that last dig even in death you know yeah uh talk about toilets I, I mean again since we're already there um this one i've heard this way i've actually had a student uh oh, yeah. do a presentation yeah. of this one thomas crapper inventing the first that was actually uh, on the history channel i'm not history toilet. channel even talking about yes it, yeah. so okay so i mean like it seems like this it's just fate aligns right thomas crapper invents the flush toilet not really now, don't get me wrong, we're not going to discredit History Channel here, but Thomas Crapper was a 19th century plumber, manufacturer of water closets, right? In other in England, right? So yes, he was one of the original people to manufacture and sell toilets, bathrooms, um, but he did not invent um, the flush toilet as we know it, right? His toilets were kind of primitive in respect to that. Um. So the true inventor of the flush toilet is actually Sir John Harrington. Um, he was a 16th century English poet. And they say that um, he was a, a poet, translator, and an occasional inventor who installed one of his first flush toilets uh, for Queen Elizabeth at her country palace. So uh, it is not Thomas Crapper that invented the first toilet. However, it's still a cool narrative. And he sold toilets. Well, then, and it works, and it's something easy. That's another thing, too. A lot of these things, I think, catch on is because they're easy to remember. And it just, it's, it just, to dispute it, you almost have to have, you know, a different type of knowledge, right? I don't want to say knowledge, but different, different information. Yeah. That's not as easy to get. And it's just, it's easier to stick with that narrative. There's also a couple other ones, since we're talking about, like, this was not the person that invented something. I mean, we got to talk about Alexander Graham Bell. Um, and we also alluded to the light bulb already when we did our Thomas Edison podcast. A lot of these guys, what really got them is their ability to 
patent things really quickly and not steal, but I mean, you could even, you could probably say steal some other people's inventions. Alexander Graham Bell did not invent the telephone. No. Even though it seems, and historically everyone's like, yeah, Alexander Graham Bell invented the telephone, you know, in back in 1876. Um, wrong. All that we have to know is that actually the first telephone um, was invented and showcased um, by a little known um, Antonio Michi, Michi, I think he was uh, an Italian guy. He basically showed his tele- telephono, demonstrated uh, in New York in 1860, that he showcased how a telephone works. And technically, that was 16 years before Alexand- um, Alexander Graham Bell got his patent. So simply, this guy just never got a patent for it. And history goes, you know, kind of goes on in history that it was Alexander Graham Bell that invented the first telephone, when in reality, it was not. This is now officially corrected. In 2002, U.S. Congress recognized this immigrant, this Florentine immigrant, as the inventor of telephone rather than Alexander Bell. But I guess even though this happened 2002 and Congress said, yeah, all right, it was this other guy, people still believe that it was Alexander Graham Bell. A news story gets shared by a friend on social media, or you catch a tweet that really makes your blood boil. But how do you separate fact from fiction? That's the premise behind Disinformation, a 10-part series from Evergreen Podcasts and Emergent Risk International coming this fall. Tune in to Disinformation wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, don't believe everything you read. When it comes to cars, no, Henry Ford did not invent the first automobile. I don't know if that's taught, but I think that's more of a misconception, yeah. Right? Yeah, um, it's definitely more of a misconception. He, he came up with the idea to mass produce them and the assembly line method to mass produce them. Um, yeah. Right? But you know who was the first guy to- cars. It was, it was a German mechanical engineer German. named Carl Benz, as in like Mercedes Benz. Mercedes Benz. Which is kind of cool. Um, he was the first one to build a practical car that was powered by an uh, internal combustion engine. It was a three-wheeled motor wagon, uh, first ran in 1885. So no, Henry Ford did not build the first car. It was actually the Germans that did it. All right, what else you got? Well, I saw one that was popping up a lot, and um, I thought it was interesting to talk about, at least, is that the, uh, the French army surrenders easily and didn't win wars. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you saw that. Um, and like, I guess that's more of a modern one that you hear a lot because of, you know, what happened in World War One, which they didn't, they didn't surrender, but they were close, right? In World War Two, obviously, when the when Germany takes them over. So a lot of times that gets like mocked in the fact. I remember watching a movie once. Um, what's that movie? Along with Mel Gibson when he was uh, in Vietnam. We were soldiers. We were soldiers. We were soldiers. And um, they talk about, oh, the, the Viet Cong just beat the French army. And one general is like, the French army, what's that? Right, like kind of mocking, you know, like yeah, the, yeah. the French at that point. But you got to remember that the that the French army was at one point one of the um, most successful armies in all of Europe. Look at the Napoleonic Wars and stuff like that. Um, so it's kind of like a half understanding of France during the Second World War, which they did do a lot of like resistance and stuff like that, just because the um, government kind of surrendered and, capi- and you know followed. Yeah capitulated it doesn't mean that the people did so i think that's something to really understand like um france has a long history of being a pretty successful military nation so i I thought that was interesting because they are kind of seen like that especially you think about world war ii and stuff like that oh they got beaten so fast well there's a lot of factors there it it wasn't just that they were just 
you can't just call them cowards. They just surrender, you know? Yeah. One that keeps on popping up every time I was doing this research of like things that didn't really happen in history and you might have been taught that they did um, was that Albert Einstein failed math as a student. I'm sure. Yeah, I remember hearing that when I was a kid and be like, how? Yeah. And that's another thing. Yeah. He literally mastered differential and integral calculus when he was 14 years old. Like, come on. There's no way he failed math. So basically what happened is this stems actually because he flunked the entrance exam to Zurich's polytechnic school. The problem was, is that he applied to Zurich's Polytechnic School, which was a university, when he was a sophomore in high school. He was like 14, 15 when he applied there. And the reason he flunked is because the test was in French, which was not his uh, main language. He didn't know the language that well. He scored nearly perfect on his math exam. He failed the botany, zoology, and language requirements. And yeah. that kind of that's a lot of people you see these memes of like, you know, Einstein failed math uh, as a kid, like anything's possible. No, actually, Einstein was a genius. Like, yeah, I think they just said that to make people who failed math, like feel better about themselves. Yeah. I mean, I failed a lot of math tests. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. That was one of them. <laughs> I, remember seeing, I remember my teacher, be like, you know, Einstein failed algebra, didn't do great in algebra. Either. I'm like, no, what? Like, that doesn't make yeah, any no. sense to me. Yeah, it doesn't I'm make like, no sense to me either. I just I just never like clicked to me. I was like, no, this guy. He's an evil MC squared. He definitely didn't fail. And you're like, I want this. to believe that. I want to believe that. Yeah, that's well, probably why it catches on. People want to believe it. Since we're in a science realm, Newton did not come up with his law of gravitation after being hit with an apple. Um, that never happened. However, we did. We do know because he wrote about this epiphany about gravity. And obviously gravity, the, the whole thought of gravity is, again, reexamined by Einstein, you know, centuries later but newton was uh kind of hanging out in his garden and apples fell in front of him and he was like hmm like is it the apple that it gravitates like goes you know attracts the ground or the ground pulls the apple and so he didn't get hit in the head however there was some apples involved um falling from trees that kind of made him question the law of gravity yeah i think with a lot of these is some truth there some historical fact there. And then over the years, like that game of telephone, things has kind of changed and where it fits better. That's happens. I think a great example of that is um, Paul Revere. Yes, let's right? do that. This is kind of one of the one that kind of like spurred on this idea for this podcast, right? The whole idea that Paul Revere rode his horse, right? And he warned the townsfolks to arm themselves was really just because of Longfellow's poem that comes out. Yeah, in 1800s. Um, what, in 1800s, right? Like, listen, children, come here as I tell you the story of the midnight rod of Paul Revere. And he goes on and stuff like that. But um, it was Paul Revere and actually two others, right? William Dawes and Samuel Prescott that rode, and they were riding to warn um, John Hancock and um, Samuel Adams, right? Yeah. Of, of what was going on. All of them got stopped by British soldiers um, Paul which they called, which actually they called regulars. They didn't say Brit. They never yeah. called them British. They called them regulars. Yeah. regulars. So even he if he was screaming, yeah. he would have been like regulars are coming, but he wasn't screaming. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, he wasn't screaming. No, because he's screaming, they're going to hear him. Exactly. Like, too, like, he, he was not trying to warn the townspeople and they're going to flick on their lights. Well, not flick on lights. Light their candles and then <laughs> flick run outside. on their lights. Yeah. <laughs> run outside with their guns. You know, that yeah. wasn't really what was going on. It was it was basically he was going to go tell Sam Adams and John Hancock and then they were going to go and like alert the proper people. But Revere actually gets detained. He gets detained for a while. The other two, Dawes and Prescott, actually escape, and they're the ones that actually tell Adams and Hancock. Yeah, so, yeah no. Porterfield didn't do fails. it. He didn't, he didn't go as far. He didn't he go fails. as far. He, he maybe did like twelve miles. The other ones did over forty. I think yeah, or something like caught. that. He got caught. He got caught. <laughs> but he, his name is the one that becomes you know synonymous because of the poem. So it did. It's yeah. just because of some 
other thing that's said, and then it kind of catches on, and then that's just accepted as fact, and it makes for a good story. But again, that's just like, you know, it's just the beginning of it. It's not necessarily what actually took place. It's not necessarily the, the true history. But it makes uh, for a good story. So It okay. makes for a good story. I mean, think of like Salem Witch Trials, right? I mean, the, yeah, that was another big one. There's so many. This one pops up all the time when you when you think about it. So that when you when it comes to Salem Witch Trials, a lot of people think that witches were burnt on the stake. That is incorrect, right? We know for a fact. Well, inco- that, inco- inco- yeah, incorrect in the Americas. In America, that's where I was going at. So, yeah. and the reason people believe this is because in England they were. Um, so the assumption was that that's the same thing that happened here, but that is actually incorrect. In the United States, they were hung. Um, yeah. There's also some evidence. Some people believe that not only, you know, that potentially these witches saw something because they were eating. Um, did you read this one? It dealt something with like drugs. Um, like eating mushrooms or stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, with some kind of mushrooms. But then like yeah. that's also debunked. And they're like, yeah, that didn't actually happen. Um, most of this was essentially like old money versus new money. There was a lot of jealousy and, and the particular uh, girls that were singled out were singled out because they were, it was like a social class war. That's really what it was. Um, It had nothing to do with like your Blair witch project. You know, there's no real witches in that perspective. Spanish flu. This one's cool. I think we talked um, about this. I want to say Spanish bit. flu is cool, people. Yeah, you're right. Dang it, I gotta get better. You, you with gotta like be careful. What I like, interesting <laughs> or yeah, yeah. thought provoking. That's, that's what I mean. Let's yeah, <laughs> not say. Let's not say cool. Yeah, yeah. Obviously. So far, you're laughing at genocide, and um, this you're is laughing like at. So I'm not wrong. Sick. Um, and clearly <laughs> that is not my intent. Um, no, 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 not not at all. So, at all. Um, Spanish flu, uh, cool in a sense. Well, this fact is cool. And I think we might have touched upon this a little bit when we talk about World War One. Stop it, because it's a cool fact. It's not cool because 50 million people died. We know that for a fact. Um, that's like 34, mil- like 34 million um, more than the total of all World War One deaths. And a lot of time, because it's happening like at the same time, people believe that it's like together, but that's clearly not the case. Anyway, um, there's a belief that, and it's right in the name, that the epidemic comes from Spain. That is actually incorrect. The reason for it is because First of all, the Spanish flu originates in Kansas. Kansas, so they believe, yeah. Yeah, in the United States. Why am I chuckling? But yes, it outbreaks here. However, because the morale already in all these allied countries, and as well as even the central powers, the Germans and the Austro-Hungarians, this is like ravaging and destroying and killing people by, by the millions. And, well, because of the poor conditions, like you said, yeah, yeah, after the war. And they don't want, but this is like, this is still happening like towards the end of the war. The war is still kind of happening here. So yeah. they don't want to demoralize any of their soldiers any more than they already are. So nobody reports on this. Well, Spain is a neutral country during World War One. They're not allied. They don't have any wars fight that they're really fighting. There's no troops they have to worry about their morale. So Spain is the only one that starts to really... Um, actually write about this and report this yeah. in the newspapers. And, and the Spanish king did contract it. And too. then the Spanish king contracts this, absolutely. And so, so that's kind of, what also kind of like made, oh, this is the Spanish flu now. Yeah, it comes it, from it Spain, is. but no, that was Kansas. So, I mean, I thought that was kind mm-hmm. of a, I don't want to say cool, interesting fact. Thought-provoking. Thought-provoking. Da-da-da-da. I mean, there's a couple little ones, like Vikings helmets. They didn't have horns. That's like, not a little one. That, that when I read that, and I remember hearing that, I knew that before, but that, that was a little upsetting for me. <laughs> if you think of a Viking, you think of the horns. And the fact that they didn't actually wear horns. If anything, they most of the time they said they probably wore nothing in the battle on their heads. 
and then maybe just some like leather caps and stuff like that. That re- that didn't really happen until well, the idea of the horns didn't really come into place until like the 1800s. A lot of um, the pictures, people drawing them, drew the helmets, and of course the um, the operas, the European operas that come out, you would have them with the with the helmets on, with the horns, and then that became kind of synonymous. But you think of like Viking culture today, yeah, they have the horns. I mean, that that is what it is. Like you go to the, a Viking horn, right? That's what it is. Yeah. You always know, see that. You think of the Minnesota Vikings; they have the helmets. And even if you Google pictures of like of Thor, right? Not not the yeah. Marvel guy, but the actual. Like he's got a helmet like that on a lot of times with the horn. With the horn, and so. that's incorrect. That comes from uh, yes. artwork from 1800s and a lot of operas, yeah. German operas. Yes. Yeah. This one I never even heard before, but like I found why it's debunked. But I never even heard of it in the first place. That. Julius Caesar was born by C-section, which is why it's called a C-section. I never really heard yeah. this before, but actually that's obviously incorrect. Um, he was born by natural birth, which was very common at the time. But uh, C-section comes from Lex Caesara, which means law of Caesar. And basically this is because there was a law that was dictated by Caesar, law of Caesar, that a baby could be cut out from the womb of the mother if she died during childbirth, which is where we get um, Lex Caesara, which is... You know, C-section. Again, I never knew that this was thought to be coming from Caesar, but now we know that. I remember people said, yeah, because he was, it was supposed to be like a um, legend or something that supposed that the prophets, right? They're like, that there would be a ruler of Rome, which he would not be born of woman. Yep, so that's right. what he said. Caesar wasn't born. He was cut out. He wasn't actually born. So, but yeah, he wasn't. But that was like the, kind of just like that narrative that went along with, you know, the mythology of Caesar. Yeah. Julius Caesar. Slavery was not, just confined to the South. Step one. Yes. That's, we're, we're just focused on American uh, slavery in the in colonies. America. and then yeah, in, in the United, in States. United States. Obviously, because slavery was an institution, we know, in you know, all throughout history, right? We talk yes. about the Egyptians, the Greeks, the Romans. Yeah, that, we're talking, yeah, we're talking slavery we're talking in, more, in the United more, States yeah, terminology. What becomes the United States in the early colonies, yes. And, um, and the slavery existed in all 13 British colonies um, by yeah. the end of 17th century, right? So... Like through 1600s, slavery was everywhere. And quite frankly, um, one of the first states that I saw that actually uh, kind of made slavery legal was was in Massachusetts. Like there was was slavery as far north as there was south. And this was not necessarily a southern thing. Slavery did not end, for example, in New York City until 1827. You might have seen it less and less. We'll give it that. But in fact, it, it really the reason, well, one of the reasons why it starts to die out, I guess you can say in the North is because of industry, right? It just yeah. wasn't, the lifestyle just, it didn't, it, not, it just wasn't needed, I guess, yep. as much is what a lot of uh, the research says. So a yep. lot of people didn't, didn't, didn't need it. So it kind of went away. And then, yes, when certain books come out, right, Uncle Tom's Cabin, things like that. And yep. then some people from the North, especially the higher up, start to read this and come more of an idea and more of the enlightenment. We start really looking at, the Enlightenment thinkers truly what they're saying, what they're saying, if they really truly believe that, how can we have slavery, right? If you yeah. truly believe all men are equal, how can you even have this? And that leads up to a whole other discussion, whole other thing. Um, but yeah, it was still around, yeah. Also, slaves, because of the Fugitive Slave Act, slaves were brought in to the North, you know, with their Southern owners, I mean, all the way up to the Civil War. I mean, this, you know, this went all the way up. Another myth is Lincoln frees the slaves. I don't know if, if that's not said, that's not incorrect. That's not really a myth. I think it's just well, a, it's the whole idea of the Emancipation Proclamation. Yeah, it's just like a simplistic way of saying it. Like Lincoln does yeah. not free the slaves. No, and the Emancipation Proclamation does not free the slaves because you actually read a document 
what it basically says is that all slaves that are in the areas of rebellion are now free. Well, Lincoln actually has no control over those states in, in rebellion because those are the Confederate states. So he can declare them free, but he can't actually do anything about it. The southern states are not just going to say, oh, well, Lincoln said it, so now we have to go along with it. It was basically more of a um, military idea, a military strategy to do that because it changes the outcome of the war. It changes the, um, the moral compass of the war. Yep. Now, now, this, now this war is about ending slavery in the United States, and that's going to keep, particularly that's going to keep Britain out of the war. Lincoln kind of plants the seeds for eventual abolition of slavery, but he's not the guy that abolishes slavery. After, you know, not to kind of diminish the importance of Emancipation Proclamation, what it did no, do, yeah, and, and I don't think we're doing that, um, but just to kind of reiterate that, what it did is kind of almost allowed slaves to free themselves because now they knew, wait a second, like the North is anti-slavery finally like they came out with it and a lot of slaves ran away to the union lines after the emancipation proclamation and that was an idea that they knew that would happen yep which is why he did it this is going to hurt the southern economy they're not going to have people they're not going to have their workers not going to have their slaves that's going to be an issue so that's another reason to do it yeah they said about five hundred thousand to seven hundred thousand um runaway slaves escaped to northern lines following the emancipation proclamation so it's almost like he opened that door for them what else? Uh, well, this one's kind of civil rights because it's much later. But uh, Rosa Parks was not sitting in a white-only section on the bus. She was actually so. This is December, right, in 1955, Montgomery, Alabama. Um, she was actually sitting in the first row of the middle section for African Americans. So you had the white section in front of the bus. Then there was like that middle couple rows, which are already considered, uh, and I quote, colored section. And then the back of the bus was completely for African-Americans. She sat in the first row of the middle section. And the way that that worked is if the beginning or the front of the bus um, ever gets filled, people that are in this like middle ground section have to give up and move. So it's a misconception that she was sitting in a white only section and refused to move. No, she was sitting in an African-American section and refused to move. It's also that it wasn't. It was planned. Like they, they planned this boycott. They well, it was. The, um, I mean, it was initially yeah, incident. Um, it wasn't like just a random thing that that day she's fed up with it. They were fed up with it for a long. She was obviously yeah. rightfully so. They were fed up for a long time. They were playing. All right, we know at this time this bus is going to be busier. I'm going to be asked to move. I'm going to refuse, and that's going to yeah. spark the, the the bus boycott, which was a huge you know spark plug for the civil rights movement. Oh, absolutely. Um. Um, one that I kind of popped up for me is that, and, and I teach this, so I don't know how much, but I guess there's a belief like the United States is not technically a democracy. Um, there's this belief that like we teach it, I guess, although I don't, so I don't know if I should say we teach it because when my students come in, I'm like, we're not a democracy. Uh, we are a Republic and Adams version, you know, John Adams, when they were creating the constitution was very adamant about the fact that we need like elements of a little bit of everything, like a perfect, we need to be like a mixed country. Um, there's to be like an element of monarchy or like an executive, aka president, some form of aristocracy, which at the time was Senate, which was not elected directly by the people. Um, and then some form of democracy, which was the House of Representatives, which was elected by the people as well. Like he thought that as a republic, we are not necessarily given the people uh, in a sense, like a true democracy, their say and the ability to govern and rule over. No, we're giving the people the ability to choose leaders. And those leaders will then create these yeah. laws. And a base of decisions. Yeah, make the decisions and to adhere to these laws. 
So we are an empire of laws, not men. I mean, that's ultimately what it comes down to. Like, we are not necessarily a democracy. We are a republic. Well, obviously, there's a whole bunch out there. So yeah. I mean, want to just like you want to do some like, speed one. One? yeah, want to do some speed ones. Well, one I you know they talk about quite a bit. They always talk about um, how short Napoleon was. I'm sure yeah. you saw this. And he really, I mean, he was short, I suppose, but he wasn't necessarily short. Um, a lot of people say that he stood. Um, wasn't as short as we think. So he did. The French records, right, say he stood um, five feet two inches um, in the pre-French Revolution units. But that's about five six in U.S. measurements, so it's not super small. Yeah. And it's actually told in the average male height in France at the time, which was five five. So yeah. although he was called like the little general and little corporal and stuff like that, it's still kind of a term like the Napoleon complex. This small guy, he was pretty much his average size for that time period. And what else kind of pops in here? Uh, this one, this one's not a small one, uh, and I kind of had to go back and look at this again. Did you see the fact that Titanic maybe didn't necessarily sink? Only because it hit an iceberg? I did hear a lot of things about that, but yeah. Okay, so um, obviously the story is 1912. Um, iceberg, you know, cuts through Titanic. Um, she lets go. Jack dies. But if you... <laughs> but The ruby's still there. The ruby's still there. It. But in a recent analysis of different photos that were found in some attic, uh, they were taken by the ship's electrical engineer... Um, prior to that maiden voyage or that, you know, fateful voyage, not maiden, they determined that there was some apparently big fire in the ship's hull that went unnoticed for like three weeks uh, before the collision. And by the time they finally got, it took, they said it was, it took like 12 people to contain the flames to finally get rid of that fire. And by the time the Titanic hit the iceberg, the damage to the hull in that area, like on that side, was so far gone that the ship's lining was very much like asking to be almost open. So potentially, if the ship's lining was intact and it hit that iceberg, it might not have been as bad. Do George we, Washington do. never chopped down a cherry tree because there was no cherry trees at his property. Boom. He never had wooden teeth. Just drank a lot of stuff that stained his teeth and made him look like wood. See, see, there's some. We talked about that. We talked about that in the first ever podcast. We did. You know, go back and listen. There's so many of these. Yeah, like the one, um, I just remember this one because we recently uh, went to that medieval times place. But, you know, in the Middle Ages, they said that people didn't use culture. Like, didn't they? You had to eat with their bare hands all the time. The big turkey leg just ripping off the meat. Like, no, that probably wasn't the case. That forks were actually around in the 11th century. And we could easy to assume knives and spoons are also everyday utensils that people in the Middle Ages did use, um, you know, utensils and stuff like that. So that kind of debunks that whole myth. Yeah, myth. I guess this is a good start. This could be. This could hopefully you guys listening yeah. to this. You you know you you heard a couple things that you did not know. Exactly. So it kind of sparks on your interest to see, go and find others. Let us know which ones you find. Yeah, I mean, there's so many. Absolutely. Do you notice that when I was looking at this, especially in today's history, you know, conversation climate, I felt a lot of things I was finding were geared kind of very politically skewed. It was a lot of that. That's why I was looking at ones that were more kind of proven one or the other, not how they could be looked at a lot of different aspects, which is true. And that's something important to look at. Yeah, in history, but we were looking more like the almost like pop culture type yeah. of things, like Cleopatra and stuff like that. Because it was kind of hard to like, you know, and it, you could definitely read within it, depending on you know which. Um, like, if you take the Atlantic, Atlantic tries to kind of stay center line, uh, you know, between go and like left or right. 
but there's always some kind of objective, you know, you try to be objective, but it's become subjective and it was kind of hard. It's human nature. To, yeah. So I was trying to like kind of stay in the middle to the best of my ability. There was one about inventing baseball, but I don't know anything about baseball. So I didn't want to go there. I figured that would be like a, your thing. It is debate whether, um, double day invented, yeah, invented or, baseball invented or not. Well, I guess that concludes our podcast on some fake history. Um, you know, again, hope you guys enjoyed it. And if you ever need anything, uh, you could always contact us at www.historyteacherstalkingpodcast.com. Uh, until next week, guys, enjoy. Stay safe, everybody. I hope everyone enjoyed our podcast, and if you would like to email us, you can do so at historyteacherspodcast at gmail.com. Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today.